Welcome to the 76th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball and preview the first week of NFL matchups and talk about Thursday Night Football's game. Let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball, starting with the National League East. In the NL East, the Atlanta Braves are in the lead there, three and a half games up on the Philadelphia Phillies, who are in second. The Braves with a 74-65 and 65 record, pretty good actually. Uh, the Phillies, uh, at least by the way for a team that I said would never make it above 500 after their struggles earlier in the season, so I'll, ta- I'll, I'll eat that one, that was a bad take. Uh, the Phillies at 71-69 and 69 are three and a half back. The Mets are 70 and 71, five games back. They had a little hot streak, but they've now lost two in a row. So six and four over the last ten, but still actually the best mark in this division. The Marlins in fourth at 15 and a half back at 59 and 81, and the Nationals in last at 58 and 82, 16 and a half games back, three and seven in their last ten. Although obviously those bottom two not relevant whatsoever. Uh, but the Braves are just four and six in their last ten themselves. But the Phillies have lost three in a row, and the Mets have lost two in a row. So the lead for the Braves sits at three and a half over the Phillies and five over the Mets, as I discussed. Uh, and really, those teams they have a chance in the wild card, but based on how it's trending, actually the Padres have the exact same record as the Braves, so they're just both the Phillies and the Mets are just as likely to uh, get the division win as they are to get the wild card spot. However. There are also more teams in the wild card, although you could argue there's a better team in their division, so there are drawbacks to trying to win either, and frankly, I don't know what their chances are to do either, and uh, I don't think the Phillies or the Mets are going to make the playoffs, to be quite honest. Uh, I think the, the Braves at this point have a pretty good handle on the division. They're still not even as healthy as they can be, uh, and they've been getting some great performances. All the guys they've acquired have been great. Uh, Jock Peterson on a walk-off this week. Obviously, Jorge Soler has been really good all season. So, there's not really much you can do to catch up to the Braves if you're the Phillies. Their acquisitions have been fine, too, but just not enough. They, and they've lost players due to injuries. Reese Hoskins, the most notable one. So, uh, they just they don't have enough to keep up. And the Mets just dug themselves too big of a hole with their slump recently. Uh, but that's about it for the NL East. Yeah, Jock Peterson with an opposite field, rare opposite field hit for him as a walk-off. Let's move to the NL Central. In the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are in the lead, 86-55. and 55. The Reds are in second at 74-67, and 67, and the Reds are just 3-7 and seven over their last 10 games. And the Padres are 6-4, and four, allowing the Padres to take a one-game lead in the wildcard race over the Reds. And Milwaukee is now 12 games out of Cincinnati, so getting pretty close to clinching territory. That is actually the biggest lead in a division in all of the big leagues now, even more than the White Sox over Cleveland at this point, which is pretty crazy considering that the Reds are still in huge are, are still in pretty good standing in terms of contending for a playoff spot. The Brewers just have been really that good, uh, and then obviously the best two, the other best two records in the league have uh, each other standing in each other's division. So that's not going to be a big lead for the Dodgers or the Giants, no matter who's in the lead. Uh, but yeah, the Reds at 12 games back at 74 and 67. The Cardinals at 71 and 68 are 14 games back of the Brewers, although two, only two back of the Reds, which means three back in the wild card of the Padres, who currently hold that second spot. The Cubs struggling, obviously, 65 and 76. 21 games back, actually, pretty much, honestly, less than I thought. Only 10 games back of a wild card spot, uh, which is not really much of an only when you're talking about only about 21, 22 games left in the season. But. It's not too bad either. Uh, then you have the Pirates at 50 and 90, 35 and a half games back. 
So, you're looking at the Brewers winning this division. I think we already know that. Uh, at this point, it's about the wild card and home field for the Brewers if they can get it. Possibly just because the Dodgers and the Giants have hard teams that are going to be gunning for them. Especially the Padres. Both of them have a lot of games left against the Padres who are going to be highly, highly motivated to try to win series against these teams. So, uh, you know, you, you got you to figure out how to win those games uh, if you're both of those teams. The Dodgers got to figure it out. The Giants got to figure it out. And the Padres will tell you they really need to figure it out because at least the Dodgers and the Giants know they're making the playoffs. They might not know where yet, uh, although it's it starting to clear up, but we'll move on to that in a second. But the Padres will tell you that they really need to win some of these games to hold off the Reds because the Reds have actually done a good job Taking a game or two off the Brewers here, but the Padres, as of recently, has kind of been getting... I mean, they got swept by the Dodgers in their last series, so they need to do more uh, to keep pace with the Reds. Yeah, well, the Cubs, uh, the Cubs won 8-2 and two in their last 10. Too little, too late. They they were sellers a long time ago, but had a little hot streak. Don't know how that was possible, uh, but really not much else to talk Playing about. Playing the Pirates. Okay. <laughs> that will do it. Um, all right, well, let's move over to... We've foreshadowed a little bit, but let's move over to the NL West, where three playoff teams currently reside. The Giants won four in a row from the end of last week's series against the Dodgers, and as the Dodgers lose two of their last, two, the last two games of their series at the Cardinals in a bullpen game and Tony Gonsolin's return from the IL, the Dodgers then fall to two and a half games back of the Giants with a 13-game lead for the first wildcard spot over the Padres, heading into a series against those Padres this weekend. Although, again... A much more important series for the Padres than the Dodgers, I would argue, because the Padres are fighting for their playoff lives. And at this point, with two and a half games left, uh, or two and a half games back with 21 games left for each team, it's starting to look pretty bleak for the Dodgers. To win and the division. To win the division, at least, yeah. And I think just getting Kershaw back, he's scheduled to make a start on September 13th, which I believe is Monday. They got Gonsolin back. It, having a full rotation and having those guys built up is probably more important than winning games at this point. So even if you take a loss or two because you need Kershaw to go 80 against the Rockies so that you feel comfortable with him in a playoff game, it's kind of a risk you have to take at this point. And I think you you, you just kind of have to take the L on that one. I think it's that simple. Uh, and again, if the Giants go 11 and 10, they end up one they end up 101 and 60 and 61 on the season. Uh, or actually, well, I guess if they go 12 and 10, which would include today's win that they already got, but we obviously go off the standings from yesterday, so it's evenly distributed. Uh, but if you go off of today's win, if they go 11 and 10 the rest of the season, they're 102 and 60 on the year. So the Dodgers would need to win 14. 15 to actually overtake 15, the Giants. Because the Giants and, have the tiebreaker. Yes, and that would mean 15 and 6 in 21 games, which would be very, 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 very challenging. Uh, so just in, it, when you look at it like that, and by the way, the Giants are probably not going to go 11-10, and 10, uh, so the Dodgers really can't do enough. They really would have to get a lot of help and, I mean, just play lights out, and, you know, maybe they can. We, we You never know. The Dodgers have the roster to do it, but at the same time, I, I think you try to win games, but there are some things that are slightly more important, and I think the, I, I think the Dodgers did, though. I, I think the rumor has been that they actually did line up the rotation for Scherzer to pitch in the wild card game, which is apparently the ideal situation, uh, which would I think line up Walker Buehler to pitch the first game of of a se- of the next series. So we'll see how that works out. But if that was the plan, then I guess they already executed that, and that's that's good enough, I guess, in terms of building up the rotation and that kind of a thing. But Kershaw and Gonsolin definitely need to get built up. 
Uh, and Especially maybe even get and, pitch a wild card game. and maybe even get Danny Duffy back too, which would be pretty important. And uh, yeah, just overall, both honestly, the Giants too need to get healthy again and get those players going again before the playoffs start, and that will be very important because honestly, the Brewers are probably the most healthy team in the league. They're down Peralta right now in terms of guys on the IL that are really important. But Yelich had his injury in the middle of the year, and now he's back, and he's been kind of getting into the swing of things again. Colton Wong has not been injured all season. A lot of their players have been there, and they have a lot of good depth to back that up if it doesn't work out. So uh, they're in a pretty good spot when you consider that the Giants and the Dodgers are building up their rotations again after either a small COVID bout or a 60-day IL stint. So maybe it's too early to talk about this, but since the Dodgers are playing the Padres right now, is, is there motivation for the Dodgers to knock the Padres out of the playoff? Do they not want to face the Padres in a one-game playoff? Would they rather face the Reds or the Cardinals? What, what well, do you think? I see it this way. I see that every single team the Dodgers could possibly face have either a former Cy Young winner or a former Cy Young runner-up who is not having a good season or is not having a season up to their standards. And uh, for the Cardinals, they have four of them, but but three of them are really, really old. Um for the Padres, it's Blake Snell, and yes, you Darvish too, but now he's been injured and hasn't had a good second half. Uh, Blake Snell's had a much better second half, but then they have Joe Musgrove, who's been Mr. Consistent all season. And the Reds have the same situation with Tyler Molly and Wade Miley versus Luis Castillo, who is a former Cy Young contender, but at the same time, and I think he actually did win it one year, or maybe at least he was the runner-up, but then at the same time, he hasn't had a great year, and his ERA was all the way up at six in the middle of the season. He's brought it all the way down, just like Blake Snell, into the fours. But they are going to have a tough time p- figuring out who's going to start. But you know that there's going to be talent. And because of the volatility either way, I don't really think it matters. And in terms of bats, Castellanos or Tatis, you pick your poison. Winker or Winker or Machado, you pick your poison. I mean, I think I would definitely go with I'd rather play the Reds. But then you're talking about Votto versus Cronenworth. So, I mean, I think when you get farther down, it actually changes a little bit. And, you know, I think overall the Reds and the Padres are really, really even and in similar situations. Um, I think, I do think, though, that the Reds guys are a little bit more more, more volatile than the Padres guys and more prone to having a bad game in a one-game wildcard series. So I think the Reds are a little bit of an easier matchup, I do per too, se. I but think maybe just but really, they, they are similar. Yeah, maybe just because the familiarity with the Padres that the Dodgers maybe would like to see the Reds. All right, let's... Uh, and they do play the Reds, actually. I think they, they play the Reds, I think, at the beginning of this upcoming week after playing the Padres, so we'll really see who they match up well, well against. The Dodgers have a big say in who that second wildcard team is, who they play. So uh, I don't think you'll see them tanking any games, but it'll, it'll be interesting. All right, let's move on to the American League. And start, obviously, with the American League East. In the AL East, the Rays are in the lead at 88-52. and 52. Uh, The best record besides the Dodgers and, pa- and Giants. Actually, a better record than the Dodgers at this point by just a half of a game. The Red Sox and the Yankees are now both more than nine games back of the Rays, and it looks like the division race is over. Actually, be it's the, almost the same differential as the White Sox and Cleveland. Uh, it's definitely less than Milwaukee over the Reds, but at the same time, it's really similar actually to that NL Central division where you have two teams fighting for a playoff spot, but nowhere near winning the division as one team just runs away with it. Uh, the, obviously in the NL Central, that being the Reds and the Cardinals in this division, that being the Red Sox and the Yankees. However, because the Yankees are 2-8 and eight in their last 10, losing six in a row, and the Red Sox are only 5-5 five and five in their last 10, 
First of all, somehow with 5-5, five and five, the Red Sox have moved ahead of the Yankees. But the Blue Jays, including a sweep over the Yankees, have won eight in a row on their way to play Baltimore, too, to continue this win streak. Meanwhile, the Red Sox play the White Sox, and the Yankees play the Mets. So the Blue Jays only one and a half games back going into a weekend series with Baltimore as the Red Sox play a division leader and the Yankees play a team that was leading the division, that was leading their division for probably 100 straight days at some point in this season, and a team who's really rejuvenated and probably pretty ready to play a rivalry game to try to get the fan base really back on their side in, in the on the other side of New York. Uh, so look, those are some tough matchups for the Red Sox and the Yankees. Uh, not going to say that they're going to lose them because I actually predicted both of them to win those matchups, but at the same time, the Blue Jays are really likely to sweep because they're playing the Orioles. They might not, but especially after having such a big winning streak because at some point it comes to an end, and typically when you win eight games in a row, you tend to lose two out of three right after and then maybe get back to your winning ways, but it really depends. Uh, or they could just keep winning and keep the streak going even longer. So it could turn out a few ways, but in the end you have the Blue Jays only now a half game back of the Yankees for a playoff spot, a team that really looked like they were trending outside, uh, really on the outside looking in, kind of a team that you would see in week 12 of the NFL as a in-the-hunt team, not really a uh, not a wild card team, not really in that race, just kind of there, but you know they're not really, uh, you know, they're not really having that much of a chance, but at this point they do, and now because of that, the Mariners and the A's are now only two games back of the Yankees too because of that sweep and uh, all that mess with the Yankees. So, uh, look, this division race is not interesting, but everything else that has to do with this division definitely is. And, uh, again, I want to see Red Sox-Yankees in a series. I'd rather the Red Sox win the division so that that could be a a whole series and we could see it at Fenway and at Yankee Stadium. But if we get a one-game playoff at Fenway or even at Yankee Stadium, that's fine, too. I'll I'll settle for that, Uh, and especially with the possibility of a Dodgers-Giants full series on the other on the other side. So that's I won't be too greedy with that one. Uh, but a lot of rivalries possible in the playoffs. But the Rays are running away with this division. The, the Orioles are at 42.5 games back in 45-94. and 94. Uh, The question of do they win, are, of, are they able to win 50 games, is pretty much in limbo. I mean, they'd have to go 5-8 and eight in the rest of the season, I think. Or no, 15, no, no. They would go five and eighteen. I should say it's uh, possible. It is possible, but that's actually I think a lot better than we thought they would be because that's yeah, yeah they're five and five in their last ten. I think when we talked about it before, the number was eleven and twenty six that they needed to go to get to to not hit that six the fifty win plateau. I think if they uh, keep up at their current winning percentage of three twenty four, I think that's still enough. Though, yeah, even enough. even that is still enough. So. I mean, good for the Orioles, I guess, not being part of the club that's probably pretty small and doesn't have many members in it, the one less than 50 games club. Uh, But that's pretty much it for this division. But I mean, what an interesting race. It's hard to talk about it too much, but it is really just an interesting race. There's nothing else to describe it. And uh, obviously, late in the season, you'll have some more Red Sox-Yankees series, I think, I hope, uh, with really serious playoff implications, too. It'll feel like a playoff game in mid-September. And by the way, that series against with the Yankees and the Blue Jays felt like one too, but it felt like only the Blue Jays actually came out with playoff intensity. Yeah, there, I mean, obviously, like you said, three teams in this division uh, in definitely right in the hunt for two playoff spots. There's a couple other teams uh, in it. One thing I do want to give you credit for is you kept telling us, look at the Blue Jays and their run differential. 
even when they were really far out. And that run differential, plus 145, third in the American it's League. It's still 115 runs better than the Re- than the yeah, Yankees, and it's still 100 better than the Red Sox. And now they only find themselves a half game out of that second wild card. However, one other thing about that is that the Yankees have actually been really, really good in one-run games, so there is an explanation for it. They were the best in the league as of, I think, two or three weeks ago, and I don't, I don't know exactly how that's evolved since then. Uh, but th- they have that record going for them, so there's definitely more of an explanation there, whereas you have a team like the Dodgers, who haven't been good in one-run games, who have really good run differential because they lose one-run games and they kill everybody else. Uh, but the Blue Jays kind of have been doing that, but I haven't heard so much about them having one-run game struggles. So it really just feels like, look, there are team 15 games above 500. It just doesn't seem like it because they're fourth place in their division. Yeah, well, it, this will be, this division will be fan. Fantastic. Well, this wild card race will be fantastic. The second place run for this division, which will likely be the first wild card spot. Exactly. Uh, Let's move on to the AL Central. This division is not worth talking about much, especially with NFL games on. So I'll, I'll run through the records real quick. The White Sox are 80 and 60. Pretty much no hope of getting any home field. The only divisional leader with the worst record are the Atlanta Braves uh, in the division where literally everybody was under 500 the entire year except for the Mets. They're 10 games ahead of Cleveland at 69 and 69. The Tigers are 14 and a half back at 66 and 75. The Royals are in fourth at 63 and 77, 17 games back. And the Minnesota Twins are at last at 62 and 78, 18 games back. The final two teams of this division, obviously, with a really, really disappointing season. But at the same time, teams in the Central have been known to run away with the division a few times. Uh, it, it, it has happened a lot. So it's not something that's really worrying, except for the White Sox have had some complacency and some uh, some errors that they've been making, and they really have a lot of injury issues right now. No Lance Lynn. Uh, I think it's not Dallas Keuchel. It's it's uh, it's Lucas Giolito who's also injured. Uh, also Dylan Cease, I believe, might be having some issues. So I think Carlos Rodon is really their only healthy starter right now, and Tim Anderson is also on the IL. Uh, although Lance Lynn is scheduled to make a start uh, this weekend, I believe, in their series. And by the way, I predicted that series, and three of the starting pitchers turned from undecided to an actual starter or from Chris Sale to undecided. So let's just say I'm already banking on that series being wrong because I picked the Red Sox, uh, and now Chris Sale isn't starting. <laughs> and now Lance Lynn is starting on Sunday. Instead of Chris Sale versus undecided, you now have undecided versus Lance Lynn. So good luck, Red Sox. By the way, speaking more about that wild card race, no Cleveland doesn't have a chance, but that's really going to hurt the Red Sox this series because they're playing the best. I mean, I said the matchups for the Yankees and the Blue Jays too, but they're easily playing the best team out of the three. Obviously, the the Orioles are awful, but uh, for the Yankees, the Mets are not anywhere near as good as the White Sox, but that's about it for the AL Central. Yeah, as you said, uh, the AL Central, not much to talk about. This is the only division where I think it's the ESPN playoff predictor where the first place team has 100% chance and everybody else in the division has a 0% chance. So not much to talk about. Let's move to the... AL West, where there is something to talk about, uh, including a couple teams that are still in the hunt for the wild card. The Astros are in first at 81 and 58. The Mariners and the A's both at 76 and 64, five and a half games back. The Mariners getting there by going seven and three in their last 10, while the A's are only five and five. The Astros are four, just four and six over their last 10, but again, it doesn't matter because the A's aren't doing anything to make up ground. Uh, they really, I, I don't know if it's a roster issue while Ramon Laureano is out with that suspension. And obviously that's not an issue that's going to be resolved this season. That's going to continue in next season, uh, at least into the beginning month of the season. So 
it's an issue they're going to have to deal with, but at the same time, it is kind of a depleted roster, and if this is how they're going to play, they're not going to win this division, and they're probably not going to get in the wild card considering how good, how talented the other rosters are and how they're not really missing anybody. In fact, the Yankees went and added a lot. I mean, the A's got Jan Gomes, they got Josh Harrison, they got Starling Marte, but Rizzo and Gallo, I mean, and and even some pitching that the Yankees got, it's really important, and all the guys that got back from the IL too, maybe even a Luis Severino return later in the season. It looks like the A's and Mariners might be getting locked out of the wild card spot soon, but we'll just have to see with that. Uh, but again, the Mariners 7-3 and three in their last 10 to move up in that race a little bit, uh, but then you have at the bottom of this division, the Angels 12 and a half back, 69 and 71, and the Rangers 51 and 88, 30 games back, but they are actually, they've won four in a row, and they're actually tied with the Mariners for the best mark in this division in their last 10 games at 7-3, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know the chance that Seattle or Oakland make up that two-game deficit. It doesn't seem like much, but when you consider how bad the Yankees have been slumping, it, it really is a lot because the Yankees could really just flip a switch and come back on immediately and all of a sudden win 10 in a row again. And then all of a sudden, now none of these teams have any chance of catching them. Uh, and the Red Sox have played better than the Yankees while dealing with pretty much half their roster out due to COVID. So it, it's really it's going to be really hard for either of these teams to catch uh, the Yankees or the Red Sox, especially because maybe if one of these teams is in the Central and they're not playing other playoff teams or playoff hopefuls, they'd be it'd be some easier matchups. But just like the Red Sox have to play the Yankees and the Blue Jays have to play the Yankees and vice versa, and they those three play each other and will take each other out, the A's have to play the Mariners, and the Astros are still going to be playing for home field in some respects. So uh, they, they really won't have such easy matchups. I mean, they're definitely going to have easier matchups than the AL East ones because that division goes four deep rather than three deep. But... At the same time, they will play each other, and those games will be really, really important. So they're going to have some big, big games, uh, and we'll see who handles the pressure better. My bet would be on the A's, but at the same time, I don't see either of them getting above the Yankees or the Red Sox. All right, well, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this week, and now something we've been waiting to say for seven months, we get to look at NFL action. Let's start with a look back at the opening game. Uh, which was actually on Thursday night, Buccaneers beating the Cowboys 31-29. Obviously, the story of this game is going to be how the Buccaneers played about as sloppy as they can and still beat the Cowboys, which can say a lot about both teams, I think, or or it couldn't. I mean, it says a lot that the Cowboys, after all that they uh, after all that they gave up on defense when their defense didn't get pretty much all lucky turnovers, that uh, although they forced a few, but. When they didn't get turnovers, their offense was able to respond pretty well, especially earlier in the game. Uh, but then they, they missed two field goals, and even with that, they still only lose by two and actually did take the lead within the last minute and a half. But as everybody knows, 124 and one timeout to get one point for Tom Brady is nothing. If you'd say maybe you have a five-point lead that you just took, that makes the conversation a little bit different. Maybe you have a chance to win the game, but when you talk about 124 only needing a field goal left with a reliable kicker that he has, uh, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to get you're, you're not going to get him you're not going to get him to, to uh, give up. You're just not going to get him to miss the opportunity. It's not going to happen. He, he's he, he's like, too good. More, way more likely than not going to be captain comeback and win the game. 
Yeah, and I think the reason why is just, again, it's only one point. If you were talking about a touchdown lead and he has to go down the whole field with one timeout and 124, a sack pretty much not ends the game, but that'll be pretty much one of the final nails in the coffin, most likely. Whereas, if you're talking about with a field goal, honestly, you take a sack, you call a timeout, all you need is the next first down, and then really, two first downs and you're past the 50, you need one more out route of about eight yards to kick a 60-yarder. Obviously, you don't want to bank on that, but you can. Uh, they didn't end up needing that. They had 18 seconds left over, threw, four, threw three passes intentionally out of bounds, uh, to bleed some time off the clock, and then, uh, you know, they kicked the game-winning field goal, but I will say, the Cowboys looked better than I thought they would. Uh, they easily covered the spread for this game, and they would have even without their final drive. So, overall, I think the Cowboys played pretty well. Uh, Dak throwing 58 passes in a game where he's coming off his ankle injury is pretty good. Uh, Zeke might be mad because he only got 11 carries, but I, I attribute that to Zach Martin being out, and uh, th- obviously their best offensive lineman, arguably, as many people have said, arguably the best player on the entire team of the Cowboys. Offensive linemen go under the radar, but he might be their best player. Uh, but at the same time, he's out, and you also have the Bucks' run defense, which is easily the best in the league. So what is the point of running into the jaws of that defense when you don't have your best run blocker and your best blocker and possibly your best player? It doesn't make any sense. So they pass it a lot more. 58 attempts is still a lot, though. Every single receiver for them was pretty good. I mean, Amari Cooper had 13 receptions, 139 touchdowns. 100, not 139 touchdowns. That'd be that'd be really crazy. Single game uh, record, definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 139 yards and two touchdowns. And CeeDee Lamb had seven receptions for 104 yards for one touchdown. Really efficient. By the way, CeeDee Lamb, 15 targets. Amari Cooper, 16. Uh, both tight ends actually had three or more receptions, so... A lot of, I mean, they distributed the ball really well. Uh, Michael Gallup got injured, but had four receptions before he exited. And then Cedric Wilson came in and got three in his backups as his backup. So there was a lot of receptions going around. Tony Pollard got four from the running back spot. Zeke got two. So obviously when you throw 58 passes, a lot of guys are going to get receptions. But by the way, same thing on the Buccaneers side, 50 passes. Uh, Tom Brady with two interceptions, but both of them on the running back uh, for not catching the ball which eventually led to Fournette and Ronald Jones being benched and Giovanni Bernard taking over as a primary back. And by the way, they might have found something there because he was doing a great job of catching passes. Uh, And by the way, he was in in the two-minute drill and Brady threw a couple passes to him and he was pretty important in the end. I mean, he had only two receptions, but I'm almost 100% sure that both of those two were on that final drive uh, where they ended up getting the game-winning field goal, which is really, really important. And by the way, Antonio Brown, Five receptions, 121 yards, one touchdown. Chris Godwin, nine receptions, 105 yards, and a touchdown. I'll go back to that in a second. Uh, And Gronk with eight receptions, 90 yards, and two touchdowns. Vintage Gronk, vintage AB, looked like the Patriots and the Steelers on the field from about 2018 or something like that. Uh, And then Godwin, he did give up that fumble, but overall had a really, really strong game. And uh, by the way, the Cowboys' defense... Two of the turnovers were gifted to them, those interceptions, but the two also, the other two were created by punching the ball out, which is something that we didn't see from the Cowboys pretty much all of last year, at least until the second half. But that defense, the first half of the year, was easily the worst in the NFL and was on pace to be historically one of the worst defenses of all time. And it really looks like they've cleaned that up. At least this defense is going to be in the around the middle of the league. So I hope, at least for the Cowboys fans' sake, 
and I hope that this game wasn't just a one-off thing, and they didn't even play too well in this, but four turnovers for us, regardless of how you get them, is still good, especially against the defending Super Bowl champions. Well, definitely a, a great, great opening game to the season. Uh, probably one of the better contests you'll see on Thursday night. Those games are usually pretty, are usually dogs. Well, you might see good games, but they're between bad, bad teams. teams. A, great, a great way to kick off the NFL season. So, with that in the rearview mirror, let's take a look at this weekend's action. Patrick, what are some of your uh, favorite games or most interesting games uh, of the early action on Sunday? Well, I'll start with two games that are exactly what I just described. Good games between bad teams that I will expect. Uh, take a look at the Eagles and the Falcons just to see what's going on with some, uh, you know, maybe what has to be the league's future in about five, six years. The Falcons might be drafting a quarterback at the end of the year, to be quite honest. Uh, and the Eagles, maybe Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the future. Maybe he's not. Maybe the season decides it. Maybe it doesn't. There's a lot of questions with both of these teams. Uh, early candidate for the, for the possible, as I like to call it, the toilet bowl of the two worst teams in the league playing each other. However, there's another contender for that game, that being the Jacksonville Jaguars, the team who was the worst team in the league last year, at the Houston Texans, who will not be with Deshaun Watson this week, uh, which makes them pretty bad, with Tyrod Taylor as a starter for a team that already went 4-13 and with a Pro Bowl-level quarterback. Uh, I, good luck. Uh, this team is not going to be good. I think it's pretty simple. The Texans aren't going to be good. That is a really strong candidate for the worst two teams of the year. But let's move on from good games with bad teams that will probably be close anyway. Uh, the first game I think I'm really looking forward to is the Steelers at the Bills. Uh, not necessarily the best game of the of this slate, and definitely not of the whole day, but an interesting game because you want to see if the Bills maybe face a regression after really coming up really, really strong at the end of last year and ending up in that AFC Championship game against the Chiefs. Obviously, they didn't win it, and they didn't come too close to winning it. Uh, but at the same time, they got there, and that's saying something in and of itself. And by the way, not many people will beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. Uh, still to this date, Tom Brady is the only quarterback to do that. So when you're talking about that, I, yeah, Josh Allen's not going to do it, at least, at least last year. Maybe he can do it this year, who knows. But for now, that's a really interesting matchup to also see how the Steelers bounce back because obviously they were 11-0 and then were pretty much awful for the rest of the season. They're getting some of their injured players back. Maybe that helps them with TJ Watt back. Uh, it should. So we'll see how good the Steelers are, and this will be a pretty good game early to test it, especially to test how good their defense is against a really, really high-powered offense. We'll see how in sync they are in Week 1. That's, the, that's one of the games that I think I'm looking forward to a lot. Another one I'm looking forward to, the Cardinals at the Titans, just because I think these teams are kind of in a similar place where both of them know they're not Super Bowl contenders, but maybe trying to be and maybe trying a little bit too hard. Uh, the Titans acquiring Julio Jones, while the Cardinals get J.J. Watt, so obviously both teams making huge moves for big names, but how much is it going to help? I don't know. I mean, the team I just talked about, the Bills, are still way better than the Titans, in my opinion. The Chiefs are still better, uh, and for the Cardinals... The three other teams in their division are better than them when you look at the Rams, the 49ers, and the Seahawks. The 49ers have the team that made the Super Bowl back, the Seahawks are the Seahawks, and the Rams added Matthew Stafford to a team that almost made it to the NFC Championship game, obviously just lost to the Packers, and by the way, beat the Seahawks in the playoffs last year. So those three are pretty solid at the top, obviously, of that NFC West division. So it'll be interesting to see how the Cardinals come out, knowing that 
you might just have to split every every two game series, two game little mini series, I guess you could say, over the course of the season with the t- other teams in the NFC West. So at that point, it is important to win these other games. Every team in the NFC West plays the Titans at some point this season. So if you could be the one to sneak out the win, that would be a pretty strong statement and a pretty good thing for Week One to carry some momentum into the rest of the season. Uh, the last game I'm looking forward to in the early slate. Seahawks at Colts, same divisional matchup. Uh, Interesting game, again, for the same reasons that the Cardinals and the Titans are. The Colts could be a divisional winner. This is one of those games where the Colts and the Titans are probably going to end up in the 5-7 to loss range, I would guess. So all of these games, you just don't want that to be one of those losses. If you can beat the Seahawks, you probably end up in the 6th loss range, closer to 6. But if you lose this game... You probably end up closer to seven, maybe eight. Uh, and same thing goes for the Titans against the Cardinals. So those two games, pretty interesting. And also for the NFC West, as I said, those teams have hard schedules because they have to play each other. So any other hard game that they have is really, really important to start stacking up some wins because it's not going to be very easy. All right. And what uh, games intrigue you, the non-morning games, the Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, and Monday night games? I think the best matchup of the entire weekend is Browns at Chiefs. I think everybody would agree with that. Uh, The Browns did not make it to the AFC Championship game, but that's because they had to play the Chiefs to get there. So obviously the the Bills technically made it later, but I almost feel like the Chiefs put up had to put up more of a fight against the Browns to win. They they didn't necessarily walk over the Bills, but it was much easier for them to win that game than the Browns game. There were some stressful moments late in the game. Uh, some turnovers that really helped the Chiefs in that one, and some big stops by their defense that had to be made, not just stops that made that they made so that the game was a 17-point margin instead of a 10-point margin. So a really, really interesting matchup there. Also, as the Browns get OBJ back and uh, also add some pretty important pieces, Jadavion Clowney, they took half of the entire Rams starting secondary last year. That I'm not even joking about that, although it kind of sounds like a joke, and it kind of is a joke, but they did take a lot of players from other teams, Troy Hill, uh, so the Browns really trying to build the, their ideal defense to back up what they think is a really great offense, and we'll have to see how it turns out. This one will, this week will be a pretty good indication of just how good can that defense be? Can it be a real? Can it be up there as a top five unit in the NFL? I don't know if I would put it there just yet. I would need to see it on paper a little bit more because they have a lot of names, but you know, names don't always get you everything. Sometimes the names are a little bit older and not necessarily in their peaks. This isn't the Jadavion Clowney that that was the number one overall draft pick. This isn't that guy anymore. I mean, I think we all know that, but at the same time, it really isn't the same guy. Uh, but at the same time, Miles Garrett could get better. I mean, he's not young, but he's not old either. He's not. He's probably entering his prime right now. So you're getting to the point where we're about to see what the Browns are really, really made of, and uh, are they a contender or a pretender? I'm not saying this game will decide that because the Chiefs could blow out anybody if they feel like it, but... This game, if they could stay close, would probably be as strong of a statement, just like the Buccaneers against the Cowboys, with the Cowboys staying close and even taking the lead late, says a lot about that team, and that they're probably going to be a pretty strong team, so I think that would be the same thing for the Browns. Uh, The next game I'm looking towards, Dolphins at the Patriots, a key divisional matchup in Week 1. Also, just because I want to see how good Mac Jones is, you get to see the matchup of Alabama versus Alabama, Uh, you get to see uh, Mac Jones against Tua. Very interesting matchup. Obviously, the backup versus the former starter, and we'll see if the uh, if the apprentice become the master. It's possible uh, if if the student has become the master, I should say. But 
I don't. I, don't I, I think that Mac Jones could win this game without winning this game by being Mac Jones. I think the Patriots could win this game, I should say, without Mac Jones really doing much. And I think that that's one of the things that they've designed themselves around. And by the way, don't be surprised if he does come out looking like college Mac Jones. And don't be surprised if Tua comes out looking like college Tua. And you could have a really, really, really interesting game between these two teams. And by the way, probably a really interesting race all season to win this division along with the Bills. Although I'd give the Bills a pretty big edge to win the division. But in terms of talking about the wild card spots, these teams will be fighting with teams like the Colts, teams like the Chargers maybe, uh, a lot of different teams, maybe even the Ravens because somebody has to lose that division out of the Ravens and the Browns and the Steelers. So they're going to be fighting with a lot of teams for that wild card spot, and that would be a pre- that's a pretty interesting matchup early in the season. Well, spoiler alert for those people who haven't looked at uh, Patrick's NFL season predictions. As he just mentioned, this is a battle of the Dolphins-Patriots. I think for your last two wildcard teams in the in the AFC, so that may give you a little inkling as to which team you actually predicted to win this matchup. Although they do play multiple times, I do. I have them splitting the overall season series. Interesting but, yeah. thing here uh, in this game: the Dolphins play at the Patriots the first week of the season. That's a break for the Dolphins. Usually, the Dolphins have to go to New England late in the year when it's cold weather, and Miami usually stinks it up at cold weather stadiums. So, well, but break. no, but you haven't paid enough attention because if you knew, if you paid attention, you know that every single year Miami sucks and the Patriots still find a way to lose them and it jeopardizes their playoff position. That's true. They lost a bye because of it two years ago. That's they true. got eliminated from contention last year because they lost to the Dolphins. So this isn't an I guess uncommon the flip thing. I works too. The Patriots uh, can't take the heat sometimes late in the year down in Miami. But Well, but at the same time, by the way, the Patriots play the Dolphins last week of the year, I believe, in Miami. So the Dolphins can spoil them again. And by the way, not to foreshadow anything, not to make a prediction, but you could see those teams go into the game nine and seven and nine and seven, and all of a sudden, ten and seven makes the playoffs. You're looking at winner of the game makes the playoffs. I mean, that would be a pretty interesting matchup. We'll see if it ends up that way. But I hope it sets up that way, and maybe this game plays a role in that. Yep. And Patrick actually mentioned us uh, a topic that we hadn't brought up. Um, as we're looking at the start of the NFL season, ten and seven teams going ten and seven. Yep. Seventeen, 17 games, games. Seventeen game season, this and year. also seven teams in the playoffs on either side. So very little bit of a tweak here to the NFL schedule that we didn't uh, we didn't mention. We'll see how that and the playoff structure yeah, itself. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, Which also makes those games. By the way, it also makes those games Browns at Chiefs, Steelers at Bills really important too for those teams where you think they're running away with the division. But how about the first round bye? That's now only one team. The Chiefs now have to beat out the Bills for that bye. It's no longer, yeah, we'll share it together. It's now one of you has to lose. Getting that one seed is all the more important now. Yes, yes. Really, really important. As the only bye, yeah. All right, well, that wraps up our look at the first week of the NFL. It also ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, September 13th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. We'll discuss week two of the college football season and look back at week one NFL action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB power rankings and his predictions of the entire college football and, as we just mentioned, NFL seasons on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.